Welcome in, everybody, to Please Stay Inside. I am Rob. I am joined here today with Eli Clark. He is a high school college counselor with 30 years of experience, and he has a master's in social work. You can also find him over on TikTok at mr.c underscore college counselor. Eli, welcome in. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate you actually uh, inviting me. It's been a great yeah. pleasure getting to know you, and I'm pleasure. Proud to be on your podcast. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. it is uh, a real, real pleasure to be able to have you. Um, we were talking, of course, a little bit before uh, when we were getting started. Um, but you have been here for the ride with me, uh, I think, since I might have been at like maybe 4,000 followers. <laughs> I don't remember, to be uh, honest. I just remember I like saw a video of yours and I went, oh, this guy's, uh -huh. I like this. This is good, you know? And of course, I was down the rabbit hole of TikTok uh -huh. and going, what else is on here? You know, that kind of thing. Uh -huh. And uh, I was thoroughly impressed. And then obviously you spoke to me in the sense of, you know, the mm -hmm. same clinical kind of work and everything. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. You, uh, you have been enormously supportive of me, which I cannot, uh, I cannot thank you enough for. I know you were like the first person I think who ever duetted one of my videos. Like you shouted me out, like. Yeah, it was right. uh i think i was talking about adhd at the time i think you were yeah yeah, yeah i remember that yeah yeah but yes you have been incredibly supportive and so to be able to well, be I'm here waiting for my check rob yeah <laughs> it's it's in the mail i don't know the, oh, the postal God. service I moved. You, yeah, oh, that's it. that's what the issue is it's at the wrong address <laughs> i messed exactly. up so eli tell us a little bit about yourself and uh about what you do yeah so I started, actually, it's kind of a funny thing. I'm one of those people, I think people can identify, that started uh, college counseling um, not knowing anything of what I want to do right out of college. Like, I was res life. That was kind of my forte. I was student activities. I was a peer mentor. I went to a private Jesuit school, so, like, community service was really big and all of that stuff. So basically, long story short, I was subletting a house with some friends of mine. My parents, you know, after graduation said, here's a nice check. And I went, great. And they're like, that's all you get. So good luck. And I went, <laughs> okay, I hope it all works out, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, my friend worked in admissions as a tour guide. And she said, you know, you might want to look into this. This is something that they are looking for people to do. And I basically applied. I got the job. I started, it was funny, I'm here I am 22 literally a month and a half out of college and i'm working with transfer students older adult students that were like 50 years old plus mm -hmm. that hadn't been to college in years we're looking at that was my very first wow. job and they're probably looking at me like who uh -huh. are you right so fast forward basically i did admissions for eight years and a popular thing that happens in my profession the profession that i'm in which is college counseling it's a lot of times either people are teachers or are counselors, but then they get a certification for college counseling, that kind of thing. Or another popular way is what we call hop the fence. You go from admissions to college counseling. You kind of have, you know, the 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 scope of and the and the um, the notions of admissions that then you can apply to college counseling. So I did it for eight years and I loved it, but the travel was a little mm. hard for me because you go you travel a lot. Then basically a job opened up in DC um, and it was a school that I really identified with and it was a college counseling position. I applied, I got the job and we moved up to DC. I worked at that school for 18 years, which was a school very similar to a high school that I went to go, uh, went at um, back in my days of high school. 
And uh, fast forward to that, I did that for 18 years, loved that school. But with my master's of social work, as you mentioned, I start. I did an internship at the school that I'm at now, which is a private non-denominational school for kids with learning challenges, neurodivergent kids, um, ADHD, obviously popular, dyslexia. Um, we have we uh, we don't have any behavioral disorders. We're not mm -hmm. a rehabilitation school, something like that. But of course, we have some socio-emotional issues that also present itself to so students with you know, diagnose anxiety, depression, um, and, you know, all the, all the, the host of everything, ASD, everything like that. Mm -hmm. So college counseling is something that, um, it, it's funny, it's a school that I think I work with a lot of kids and families that think initially, this is not part of their life. Like, this really? is not going to be that step for them. And I think what's truly rewarding among many things at the school that I work at now is that I'm able to show them, no, no, these are these are available to you. There are options that are out there if you so choose to do it. Um, and it's, you know, I can go on and on about that. But that's basically what I've been doing. And in addition to that, I, I do work with some private clients. Obviously, I do TikTok that you know as well, too, really because I was freaked out about COVID and people mm -hmm. just giving up on the process and saying, well, I didn't meet with a counselor. I have no idea what's going on. There was a lot of changes that happened in the world of admissions. So I kind of started on TikTok going like, I know stuff. I need to help people. I, yeah. you know, and and I I didn't want people to give up. You know, the mm. kids had worked so hard for yeah. it. So that's why I started it. Um, I don't do it for money. Hmm. I, don't, I don't even know how to get money out of this. I have no <laughs> idea what to do with that. But but it's not that's not my focus, obviously. My focus is to help, and that's yeah. what I want to do. So that's a nutshell of what I do. Yeah, yeah. and help you have. How were, right. how were kids feeling when COVID started and they were trying to figure out this whole process? Oh, my God. Kids were, you know, Rob, as well, too. They were so lost. They they just first of all the isolation in and of itself mm -hmm. was a killer to right. them in terms of I mean we're still seeing some of the effects that we can go into uh, more deeply if you want Absolutely. to but um, but kids are definitely they were so isolated they felt so disconnected uh, to I mean if you think about it, school is not only just the place of learning it's their place of socialization it's their mm -hmm. place that. They find their tribe. They discover more about themselves, whether they want to or not. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they uh, and the interactions with even adults, the mentorship and the and the teaching that can happen. I mean, Zoom and online was a great band aid, I think, initially during COVID. But the long term effect, I mean, it just was not. It broke my heart to see some of my kids. I would see them because I would do sessions like this, you know, mm -hmm. with my with my seniors who were applying at that point and. I remember one kid in particular, he, first of all, he was so shy, he didn't want to turn his camera on. And then when he did, I was, he looked so depressed. Mm. So we had to stop. I mean, I was like, what's going on with yeah. you? And, you know, all of that stuff. And it was tough. It was tough. Um, yeah. And then just the, the, the entry back into it was tough. So. Right. Yeah. Mm. And I can only imagine being a high school senior and like, I know so many of these kids that I talked to, you know, Maybe they were like playing sports all through high school and now they're about to go into varsity, their senior year, they get their senior games, they get prom, they get all of that. And just in an instant, just all wiped oh. away. Yeah, it really was. I mean, it was a really hard adjustment and you did what you can. Mm -hmm. I mean, as educators ourselves, I mean, 
I I definitely felt the effects. I did not like being online. I didn't mm-hmm. care for oh, it, it, it as far as the veracity of it mm-hmm. and the and the length and time. I miss. I mean, we're both in professions. We like the human interaction. Yes. I mean, this yes. is what feeds us as professionals as well, too. And to do it over Zoom just felt so um, artificial to me and um, and lacked sort of that nuanced sort of, um, you know, perspective and, and connection that you can have with kids. I laughed, though, too. You know, we tried to make the best of it. We're a small school. We're not a very large school at my school. We're only 150 students total, mm-hmm. grades um, 4 through 12. And um, so our class size is usually around in the 20s, which we're by design, we're that way because of the kinds of kids that we work for. That year, because COVID, we still didn't know the full effects and the, how you catch it and all of mm-hmm. those things that first year. We had to do a, um, you know, they drove their car up in a parking lot. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then the, the diploma would be on a table kind of oh, far away, man. and they would come and get the diploma, and everyone's wearing masks. And then we all were in our cars, but I didn't own a car at the time, so I couldn't go. But people would honk their horns, you know, like, yeah, uh-huh. you know, like they graduated. Yeah. But that was the that was graduation. Wow. You know, it was like, oh boy, a little rough. Yeah. I mean, it's something so, to, to talk about later on for sure. I mean, just yeah. how wild of an experience that must be. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, but I think there's long lasting effects of it. I think that we're yeah. now seeing some young people, and I'm sure you're seeing this in your in your respective profession, Rob, mm-hmm. the way they're having problems interacting. Yeah. They're having problems connecting mm-hmm. with another person yes. in, in a variety of ways, not just for dating or romantic, mm-hmm. but, you know, jobs or for their professors or friends. Right. I mean, the isolation still is so real. Absolutely. I mean, and I have uh, I work with a lot of kids ranging from like seven or eight, you know, all the way up to adulthood. And uh, I know especially for like my younger clients and the, all my younger clients happen to be. Uh, the majority of my caseload who has autism and a lot of them, you know, missed out on a lot of this opportunity to be able to model some of the behaviors of their peers to be able to learn through some feedback. And, you know, it, it, it resulted in so many really negative interactions when they go back to school, which is not helpful when you're trying to figure out how to do that socialization. Um, you know, you start getting picked on for being different and it's like, well, I never figured this out in the first place. Um, for, so I, I know you mentioned that a lot of your population, you know, ADHD is like the predominant population within your school. So for, for kids with ADHD, when, you know, that January, February hits and everybody instantaneously, they're pulled out of school. I know this is also around like decision time for colleges. So what kinds of things did you see happen within this population in terms of like performance, just trying for college in general all that you're talking about that that particular class right the one the covid class Mm -hmm. in essence right yeah so one thing just to clarify is that um decision time actually is in stages so you have um in november usually november 1st or november 15th is a is what we call the early deadline it's either early decision or early action and not to get into semantics because you know i could rattle these off all day long but you know early decisions binding early actions non so depends on the school lots of students do early all of my kids applied early uh this year and that's usually kind of the norm they want to find out early on uh, their ocean these days that you have a better chance but now we're in february right now and a lot of them applied regular decision as well 
unless they're I have one student that applied early decision he got in he's done like he didn't apply anywhere else that's it so um but the other ones they applied early action you can still apply regular so they still they applied in January we're not going to really hear about those decisions for about another month from now technically you're not you're supposed to hear from everybody by the first week of April sometimes you have to nudge some schools like you're coming out with some decisions soon please like because May 1st is a big day. May 1st is the universal deadline where you have to deposit at a school. You have to inform other schools not to do that. So in relation to your question, um, th the entire process was flipped on its head. I mean, first and foremost, colleges and universities were freaking out because they didn't know who was really going to apply in that year. If you think about it, the way that a college university finds out who's going to apply is usually two major ways. Well, really three. College board, the SAT or ACT scores, they buy those. So they buy the PSAT score, they buy the PACT score, and they can basically like then market them and find out, okay, this zip code, these age groups, these are the kids we want to target, that kind of thing. Obviously, to them visiting campus, which wasn't happening during right. COVID, no one was visiting campus, mm -hmm. and then going to high schools, which no one was going to high right. schools because it couldn't exist. You tried to do Zoom and, and that kind of thing, but it was really difficult um, in doing that. So on their side, they were freaking out that year, like, who's applying mm. and uh, doing all that? Now, of course, we have our very ultra-selective you know, kinds of schools that I don't think were worried as much, but still, this was affecting literally everybody. But then on the flip side, more so to that COVID year, my students just felt like, I don't know what to do. I, usually we did this in school. What do I do now? So heading off at the past, I mean, our school did a very good job on pivoting. We pivoted in 48 hours to an online platform. Wow. Because, yeah, the head of our school is like this amazing woman that, yeah. I mean, she told us in like late December, she's like, we need to prepare. We're like looking at her like, what are you talking about? Right. Right. And then come March, we're like, oh, my God, I can't believe. Yeah. You know, so we pivoted in two days. Uh, we we're all asynchronous. We we're all doing online. We actually went hybrid much earlier than most. But again, we, we were small. We could contain our numbers and, you know, it was all mass. We even had to all walk the same way through the hallway. So you weren't, you know, passing each other. Mm. It was really crazy, you know. So in doing that, but, but again, they just felt like, how am I going to get through this process? There's so there's still the intricacies of it. The test optional thing mm -hmm. of the testing was incredibly confusing to them still remains to a certain degree, but, but yeah, it was, it was hard now, luckily for them. I mean, I'm not saying they'll look at me, but I mean, they had me, I could yeah. help them through this. I was able to kind of wrap my brain around. And one thing I do in my job, it's not just working with kids, but I have to keep my eyes and ears on what's happening in the world of admissions. Right. So I read a lot. I go to conferences. I talk to colleagues. I know a lot of people in college admissions. So I've got my ears and nose to the to the grindstone like, hey, what's going on? I need to know what's happening, that kind of thing. So in doing that. So, yeah, it was tricky. It was it was difficult and challenging, but. You know, my, that class was still successful. So, yeah. you know, in doing that. Now, overall, I would say we saw a huge decline. I mean, the National Student Clearinghouse, I think that year saw almost close. I think it was like a 9.6% decline in college wow. enrollment in na nationwide, the largest being two-year schools. Because if you think about it, um, the ones that the two-year colleges and universities usually support those that don't have necessarily always the financial means to attend 
colleges or universities, these are the people that probably didn't have college counseling, mm -hmm. that everything was online. God forbid, I, I even dread thinking about it. They may have not even been online because they didn't have internet or right. it was really difficult. Right. You know, they had to go to their McDonald's or their library in exactly. order to go to school. So this breaks my heart, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I was working in uh, Appalachia at the, uh, at the time of COVID yeah. And when we tried to make the transition over to virtual, I I didn't know anything other than like Skype from back in the day, and I maybe used mm -hmm. it like twice. And yeah, most of my clients did not have like reliable access to internet. And a lot of the sessions I was doing at the time were all like over the phone, which is like the least personal thing next to like text messaging. <laughs> and so, I mean, you can imagine like people are trying to figure everything out and of course everyone's mental health is just rapidly declining yeah. um I, which i think is something almost everyone went through at that point right. um and it was just like it, it was very very difficult to try to get used to yeah i always kind of chuckle too because in full i mean i'm fine disclosing this i was actually in therapy prior to COVID for just another kind mm -hmm. of reason i was having some transitional uh, things that I needed to discuss with somebody. And I'm a big, obviously, I'm a big believer in therapy. I think it's mm -hmm. always a good thing. I always say, it's like tuning your car. Like, I don't know how to fix my car and the mm -hmm. oil. Like, I need to go to somebody. So I like that. Right? That's how I kind of think about it. But it was funny, like, after when that all virtual thing, my therapist at the time said, well, we could continue. And I felt pretty good. So I, I uh -huh. like, terminated very quickly. I was like, no, right. we're good. Yeah. Like, see you later. <laughs> I also have to save my money right now. So right. Okay, you know. But, right, right. Yeah. I had to focus on some other stuff. But, For yeah. sure. I um I honestly really liked uh I, I love as as a therapist I really love being in person, but I honestly really took to virtual sessions. Like being able to um not as a therapist but as a as a client. Mm -hmm. Um like being able to just like nine AM, you know, I've got my coffee brewing and I'm like still wearing like pajama pants, I can just sit there and just go do my therapy like <laughs> I'm into that. I, I can I can work with that. Or you were were you not clothed from here? Ex exactly, exactly. You gotta you gotta maintain that. Um, <laughs> so I'm wearing pants today. I promise. Exactly, exactly. Um, so for you, what was that? What was that time like having to you know so quickly transition and just life changing? What was that like? It was tough. I mean, it, and, and the thing is, I still had to do what I had to do, right? right? This was March of 2020. So my seniors at that time were pretty much done. Like, like you know, as a college counselor, some of our main duties and responsibilities are not just meeting with colleges, helping with essays. I read all the college essays at my school. I help the kids if they need to. I mean, I'm not there, like, overloading them, but, like, sure. you know, but if they need help with, like, answering questions on the application, uh, doing all that but you also have to write a letter of recommendation mm. and that's pretty expected especially at a private school now sometimes you know um, at public schools they do as well but with with guidance or school counselors was more the more popular term sometimes they're so inundated with so much of the socio-emotional mental uh, registrar class scheduling things of that nature that college counseling sometimes is is another added responsibility but it's something that they just can't focus as completely as a dedicated college counselor does. So I write a personal letter recommendation for every single one of my students wow. every year. I don't do like form letters. I always used to joke at the, the school I was at before was an all boys school and, you know, big sports and everything. I always said, I don't have the soccer paragraph. Mm -hmm. 
not, you know, not writing about rugby in like the same right. way over and over again. Now I felt like as I was doing it from scratch, I'm like, boy, I think I've said this before. Uh-huh. But, you know, how many times can you say, you know, how lacrosse is so unique, right? So, uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, so you write, you do that as well. But I hadn't done that. So you're thinking March, seniors are done. It was my juniors that I was focusing on mm-hmm. at that point and working with their process and everything. The thing was, I will tell you, one of the biggest struggles was the fear of the unknown of what's going to happen. So right. many of my juniors would say, well, you don't think this is really going to affect next year. And I would be like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. And if it does, I mean, I didn't want to you know, be dark and gloomy to them. Right. But I had to definitely prepare like, boy, this may not happen. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, I mean, I had obviously no personal visitors that year for college visits. Everything was online. I did have, like, I think that year I had, like, 90, 90, 92 colleges that did online visits with my students and myself, you know, Mm -hmm. because I would also be there um, as well. And just trying my best to kind of navigate that. I mean, I'm not the most technologically proficient person in the world, but, you know, boy, did I learn Zoom and Google Meets very quickly, you know, and doing all of that and everything. And then I still had to write a letter of recommendation. I will say another thing that was particularly challenging is, you already mentioned this, the kids have no activities. Right. So they didn't have soccer and they didn't have, you know, and national honor society or right. student government. So they were like feeling like, wow, I don't have this. I, I, that's even worse for me now. And what mm-hmm. I tried to tell them is you're among many, many, if yes. not all young people that are doing the exact same thing that you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. So college and universities understand that they didn't want to penalize that's something that's a common notion. I know I'm jumping around here, but the last thing that it. I want to add is that people always think that it's a more of an adversarial, you know, the committee and they're going to deny and, you know, it's all this mm-hmm. exclusive, you know, application and, and making decisions, that kind of thing. Colleges and universities don't exist until they have a class, right? They have to have real live human beings attending their school. So they have to find ways to admit students. Mm-hmm. And that can be um really challenging for sometimes and in this case i mean test optional happened and people were very confused like i don't take a test what are you talking about right mm-hmm. and then all the activities and the kids feel like oh i'm deficient and i go no you're not i mean this is what's going on mm-hmm. so and the college and university understood that because they wanted to find ways to admit students so you know and then it was a struggle for them and, right so yeah right yeah i could only imagine just the kind of like perfectionist mentality that can sometimes come with trying to get into college and just being crippled by that idea of like there I mean there are so many things that I can't put on my resume there are so many things I can't put on this application mm-hmm. it's got to be tough yeah, totally yeah they definitely and trying to trying to walk them um away from that and still show them the validation of who they are as a student mm. and and that was that was a challenge to do and to, to express the same thing to parents because, of course, parents were freaking out right. and wondering what's happening and what's going on. And I mean, it was it was a sense of I mean, I'm a very I'm I feel very blessed the kind of school that I am and what I have. They they know that I've been doing this a long time. I actually was not a foreigner to the school. I actually did some consulting work with them when they had no college counselor with another colleague of mine at another school. And then I did my internship there for my master's. Mm-hmm. So. The families were already like, okay, Mr. C knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. So when I would say to him, like, please don't worry about that. Please focus on your mental health. Your, yes. Please try and go outside just a little yeah. bit. You know, that kind of thing. 
So, um, you know, and, and then I would brunt, I would shoulder some of that stuff and, and, uh, and take that over for them. And that was okay, you know, but yeah, it, it, it also took a toll on me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I had to be like, I okay, I gotta chill out for a while. Yeah. yeah. It's like, when I hear you talk about your job and the things that you do, it does sound like you have this passion for your job that is like, very deep. I mean, for you to write personalized letters of recommendation for everybody, for everyone to be able to trust that, oh, it's Mr. C. And for you to have that ability to give that reassurance to so many people, I think yeah. really speaks to what you bring to the position that you're in. Thank and you. just the, the I, I just, up. I love going to work every day. Really? And, and my, my grandparents who are great, wonderful role models of me as my parents were too but Mm -hmm. my grandfather always said to me you know if you love what you do it's never work right Mm -hmm. i mean we've heard this saying this saying in certain ways either literally or or in another form or fashion but he also believed that as well too and um i just i i yes do i love the kids i do do i love them every day Mm, i don't know about that sure (laughs) (laughs) but but they're but they're really great people and 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 people always they always people who don't know what i do sometimes say oh but the parents right Mm. oh my god but working with the parents must be so challenging i mean they say other words right sure and i always say this about parents i always say the message is admirable what they're trying to tell you is i want to be a good parent I want to do the best for my kid. I want to be the full support of them. Mm-hmm. Their delivery sucks. The way they yes. say it is terrible. <laughs> it's awful. It's wrapped up in ego and anxiety and uh-huh. all of these things. But you, what you have to remember as a counselor, and you mm-hmm. know this too, wh- what they're projecting onto you has nothing to do with you. Yes. It, it has to do maybe with the persona of what you represent. Or a lot of times I call it, I'm just the dump. I'm the repository of their anxiety. And, Mm. you know, and doing that. I always remember an episode, I know I'm jumping here, but one of my favorite episodes of Mad Men, there Mm. was a doctor that had to go in this snowstorm and Don Draper was with them and he had to go do a surgery or something. And Don Draper says, why are you doing this now? And, you know, it's so snowing. And the guy turned around, he said, people will do anything for you if you hold their anxiety for them. And I went, Mm. yep. Yeah, <laughs> got it. <laughs> That's amazing so, advice. But I love what I, it's so much fun, and yeah. just the changes of it all, and mm-hmm. it's like a puzzle every year. It's kind of interesting. I love visiting colleges. That's fun. Mm-hmm. And yeah, my friend, I know friends that I've known for now thirty years that mm-hmm. I've known it, that work in admissions, that work in college counseling. It's really great. So yeah. Yeah, you, you uh, visited my alma mater not uh, not too long ago. Same Mary's stayed college there now. in the dorm. Yeah. Oh, I went. Uh, I went for a, a alumni weekend. I think back in, I think it was like June or July of this past year, and they must not have turned on the AC. It was, <laughs> <laughs> it was rough. I was like, oh, thank you for welcoming me back. Uh, so it's a beautiful school, though. I love oh, St. Mary's. It's a great place. Gorgeous place. Um, so I I definitely hear the passion that you have for the job, and you know, it's something that you know you love to do. Are there times of the year that get more difficult for you to hold on to that passion? Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, I would say the, the, the it's funny because in my profession, you say the word, the two months that are the hardest are October and uh, April. But October mm-hmm. is actually technically right after Labor Day until right before Thanksgiving mm-hmm. because you're doing you're you're juggling all these balls. You're meeting with your kids, they're applying, you're helping with that, you're reading all the essays, but then you've got all these colleges visiting. I mean, I usually on average would have four, if not five a day, 
Um, and I'm it at my school. There's no one else that's meeting with these. And when the, when a person, when an admissions person comes, I don't necessarily grab kids out of class because mm-hmm. I think that's false. I mean, if a kid's interested in the school and I do my best to promote the school that's coming to our to our campus on a given day, but sometimes students are like, I'm not interested in that school. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. But I always say, this is my guest. I have to also make sure I allocate time so I can meet them and sure. get to know them or get updates from them or talk shop with them in some form or fashion. Now, fortunately for me, some of these are my friends. So I'm just like, oh, how's life? You know, Right, right. How's your dog doing? Or, uh-huh. you know, people are found out they're like, oh, the new house. Oh, my God. Tell me uh-huh. all about it. You know, that kind of thing. So, but, but, and that's pleasurable, of course. But you're doing that. You're writing letters, you're juggling all the stuff with the students, you're still answering emails, you're doing parent nights, I'm having programs as well too, I usually do an admissions panel, some schools also do financial aid nights, or they do junior nights, I do a junior night as well too, Um, so you're doing all this stuff, Right. and you're exhausted, I mean it's pretty exhausting, so you do that, and then April... I would say March and uh, uh, people always think the fall's the worst. Actually, April or the spring in general is difficult too because if you think about it, you're still working with your seniors. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's tapered off some, but you're working with juniors now. Right. So in effect, you're juggling those two. Mm-hmm. And some schools do visits. I don't do visits in the spring. Um, I only do them in the fall. But like, I have a gap year program that I've been putting on in two weeks for all of my um, high school students. And their families, because I wanted to give them the perspective, those options of gap programs, you mm-hmm. know, because I have some students that don't always go to college and that's okay. Right. So I wanted to showcase that a little bit. And I also, I know you'll check out this, my senior, my last senior parent program, I call Letting Go. Oh, nice. It's all about how you let go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and Aww. usually I have somebody from like Res Life uh, School that comes and talks about living mm-hmm. on campus or I've had people from accommodations offices at colleges talk about how you get accommodations, how you advocate for yourself, that kind of thing. So anyway, blah, blah, blah. It's a long answer, but that's, yeah, it's never ending. Yeah. Yeah. Do you bring it home with you? No. Good man. Good man. Love that answer. I I mean, I have, I can't say a hundred percent of the time. Like I write some letters over the weekend. I mean, you kind of have to, if you need to. Um, But uh no, I make it a big point these days. I really don't like to bring work home. If I so choose to, I will. I find myself now uh, that I've been doing it as long as I have, I, I go home and I don't want to. I mm. simply don't want to. I want to relax. I want to cook. I want to be with my husband. I want to mm-hmm. not do work. Right. It's crazy to me. Now, I also have private clients, and so I've, I've elected actually to sure. do extra work. Uh, sometimes in the early evenings, but even even that I regulate. I don't like I don't do Fridays. I never have a client on Friday. Okay. Friday is my day. Mm-hmm. That's my chill day. So, weekends are I I tend to be popular with my private clients, but certain hours, you know, right. and there's certain things. But I, I'm a pre, I'm a big boundary person Wonderful. because I know it will affect me if I let it do that, and then that's not worth it. Right, because I mean, not only does it drain us, but because it drains us we then aren't really able to be as present for our, our people as we need to be. Yeah. Um, which is why I asked that question. <laughs> it's so important okay. to have those boundaries. Um, yeah. Are there other ways that you ensure that you do some of that self-care? Are there ways that you take care of yourself to take some of that, some of that stress away? Yeah. I mean, I've recently been dipping my toe very, very uh, softly into being a little more meditative mm. with my time. 
Um, it's a it's a tricky question for my life right now because sure. I, I think you know this, Rob. My life went really berserk in the summer mm-hmm. of this year because we moved. Right. Um, I, I sold my house. We have this house. Um, we renovated somewhat a good portion of this house to really suit what we wanted. It's awesome. We love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, with that also comes all the other things, you know, right. that can be stresses and stressful. Um, I'm somebody who who does have a capacity, like if I'm getting stressed or if it's a little consuming to me, I, I, I have a threshold internally in my brain where it just shuts off. I'm like, I can't do it anymore. Right. It's the same thing with work. I can't be productive past a certain hour because mm-hmm. then I look at myself and well, all I'm doing is staring at this and I'm going to do kind of a crappy job if I try to write a letter mm-hmm. or do something like that. So it is what it is, you know, mm-hmm. in doing that. Um, but yeah, I think the meditation, I read, I love that. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm, I love television. I, I'm mm-hmm. going to own it. I love all things. We have all the streaming right now. Oh, I can't yeah. how many streaming things are doing. We're watching all these things. I watch garbage television. Sometimes. I love garbage television. Right. And me too. I love all the Bravo shows, mm-hmm. all the real blank blanks and blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. I like real estate. They have the million dollar listing. I love those. You know, mm-hmm. All that stuff. So yeah, I, I'm a big fan of just TV shows that have like little connection to my life, so that right. I can just like just like look at them, just look at them go. Yeah. <laughs> just the drama some, that is I, unfolding. I love the reality. Like I love that yeah. show, The Circle. The Circle is just a I've very heard it's amazing. interesting show for me. So I uh, I, I tried yeah. Love Is Blind for a little while. Oh. Um, yeah. I, I love that stuff. I just finished. It, it's it's an older show, but I just finished uh, rewatching Flavor of Love from VH1, way back in the day. Oh, oh that talk about relaxing! Just right? it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but it's it's uh, you know, hey, that's how you do it. But right. yeah, it's funny. I'm 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 reassessing some things in my life now um, that I've been a little more settled and things are good that I can start uh, focusing on. Yeah, I've been focusing on my health more. My mm. sleep is still a little weird right now, but I'm trying to mm. navigate that. There we go. But you're, you're acknowledging it and you're working towards it, which is I am. That is yeah. such an. I will tell you, stuff. I don't have a commute anymore, which is so great. That's I used to amazing. have over an hour commute because I lived Gosh. north of almost to Maryland. I think I told you that. Yeah. And my school is in Alexandria, where I live now. My mm. commute is now 15 minutes max. Oh, beautiful! So, I know, it's great. Mm. That's yeah. awesome. That that does make a very big difference. A huge difference. Yeah. It really does. So yeah. Uh so I guess shifting over to, you know, the to the kids and the process and, and college in general, because I would love to be able to talk about mental health, how it is affected mm-hmm. by the college admissions process, by the mm-hmm. stress of it all. I know you mentioned um, you know, even some of the stress that parents go through as they're trying to navigate this and the letting go part of all of this. Um, how do you see kids being affected by the college process as they're mm. trying to do all of this? Yeah. So uh, we're getting into our clinical, uh, here. Um, I feel like I'm being tested now. Mm-hmm. I'm a little rusty on some of my clinical technology and, <laughs> and terminology, but I, I, I've always said that the college process is a study in ego defense that, um, if you think about from a theoretical standpoint, I always sort of equate the college process like systems theory you know you are a system of your own mm-hmm. and you have your own likes dislikes you're passionate about this and then things in outside permeate covid mm-hmm. grandpa mm-hmm. you know somebody right. 
dog isn't doing well, whatever, right? And those things permeate. And college stress can permeate that. Mm-hmm. So what, what students tend to do is to, to maintain their system, to maintain their bubble. They start shooting out things like um, rationalization, intellectualization is a very classic uh, ego defense that, that students use where they go, well, I won't, I, I'm going to apply here, but I will not get in. You know, I hear mm-hmm. that quite often when they say, well, I know it's very selective, but I'm just going to try. Mm-hmm. And what I try to tell them is you don't really know if you'll get in or not in essence even though the statistics are high, you know, they, the, the Ivies, for example, mm-hmm. everyone thinks, well, I, I have no shot of getting into the Ivies. Right. What I always say to students is, if you don't apply, you don't get in. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. But also, they have to admit people yeah, every Some year. people get in. <laughs> yes, they do. It may not be you, but mm-hmm. I mean, you can try, mm-hmm. right? So the, the, so the ego is something that's delicate in this process. It's delicate when you're a young person anyway. They're trying to form their own identity and and assert themselves and do their individuation, become adults and, you know, mm-hmm. try their stuff. And then, you know, they screw up that sometimes, but, sure. whatever. but yeah, but, um, you know, and also too, um, they're also reality testing on you. Mm-hmm. You know, they're trying to like, for me, like, you know, do you think I have a shot? Do you think I'm weird? Do you think this mm-hmm. was a good activity for me to do? You know, that kind of thing. What I try to do as a counselor, and I, I don't think my approach is any way unique, but, I, I don't play the strategy game with my kids. I don't get mired in statistics and things that, that you know, in some way gives them a false sense of hope or some sort of fear of dread. I also mm. tell them straight off the bat, and I can actually go into some great examples of how I do this, but one thing I do uh, tell them when we first meet, I actually meet with, so I've met with my juniors, for example. I'll just give it in this context. I've met with my juniors on their own. I did not meet with mom or dads yet or guardians or what have you. Mm-hmm. I only met with the student. And when you meet with the student, I always tell them, this is my interview to get to know you. Like, I feel like I know you because I know you around school and that kind of thing, but I wanted to get to know who you are. And one of the things that I do that then eradicates the sense of reality testing and the sense of ego defense, that kind of thing, I never look at their grades. I have mm. access to them, but I don't look at their transcript. And I tell them this. Mm. I say, I don't know your grades. I'm going to ask you what I'm about to see later on. I'm not even going to look at it in this meeting. But you tell me in your own words, how did freshman year go? How did sophomore year go? How is this year going? What are your favorite classes? What classes haven't worked? Blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And if you think about it, that serves two big purposes. It gives them their voice. It tells mm. them you're imp- what you're telling me is important to me. Yes. Because I want to shepherd that. I want to encourage that. I mean, and also, too, it's a little selfish, but it builds good rapport. They're like, oh, thank God. He doesn't mm-hmm. think I'm a jerk or a dumb dumb head or whatever. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, he doesn't have a preconceived notion of me. Mm-hmm. So. so it builds good rapport in terms right. of that. And it, and it lends itself to be a good discussion. Now, the next meeting that happens that I'm about to embark on, probably on the next, not next week, but probably the week after, is uh, with moms and dads and guardians. And basically, we'll look at the transcript. We'll talk about testing. I come up with, a, in addition to doing a personalized letter of recommendation, what I do with juniors is based on the information I gathered from their first meeting, without looking at grades, mm-hmm. I come up with a list of some schools. And it's their college exploration list. So that way they can see that and sort of go, oh, uh, let me look here. Let me look there. You mm-hmm. know? So and trying to, again, again, trying to shepherd that ego, trying to like encourage them, empower them to sort of see that some schools I recommend they're probably they may not get into mm-hmm. but that's not what the focus should be on right now right. and in doing that you know so it's 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 sort of that stuff and then of course parents parents want to know are you going to be a good person for my kid mm-hmm. right 
So I always I always laugh the one that that you know I I I try to endear myself. You know, parents know. I mean, I'm at a stage in my life where my I guess my reputation precedes me, whatever. Mm -hmm. But but you know, the, my parents know me pretty well. I've worked with some that you know I've worked with their older kids and that kind of thing and everything like that. But I remember one time when you're a, a parent goes. I, I, you know, I know you say some hard things for the families, but you seem to do it really well and they take it really well. Like, how do you do that? And I looked at her and said, I'm just so charming. <laughs> she went, yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> I was like, uh -huh, yeah, right. Yeah, you know, yeah. but I mean, I'm, I'm here to be, I had a discussion with, with a mom today about a senior whose mid-year grades were not great. Mm -hmm. And I've already talked to that, that individual about, that person's grades and i had to ever you know the mom is not wasn't going to be weird on me she knew what was going on but i just said look it is what it is because i sent mid your grades out you have to it's part of the process college universities expect mid your grades and she had some poor grades and hmm. mom was freaked out and we i had to talk about it and she knew but mm -hmm. i said now's the time i mean this is reality now it's a thing like that there could be consequences here let's discuss what they could be so right right and so you're trying to keep them grounded in the reality of what is going on and trying to keep them level-headed in all of this because i do imagine that some people go to like a perfectionistic standpoint and some people may also go to a point of not really recognizing the reality of all of it yeah and i i think i unfortunately see sometimes people in my profession as we have people in our profession all the time where we know sometimes their methodology kind of go, mm, I don't know if I do that that way, but I've had some uh, uh, counselors that I've met sometimes wonderful people still, but they go like, they, they do a lot of pie in the sky. Like, Oh, let's just hope you get in. I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a good form and process to do that. And then I have some that go completely the opposite direction, you know, and are all like, Oh my God, uh, you're never going to get in or that's mm -hmm. too hard. Or, you know, I hear that one all the time from yeah. like fellow peers and go, Every time I say what I do for a living, I either hear I never knew them or they were one of the worst people in my school. You know, and I'm always like, oh, wow. God. Well, it wasn't me. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, but they just go, no, we didn't have you. Or they go, yeah, they only told me I could only apply to these schools. And mm -hmm. I always tell my students from the very beginning, you can apply wherever you want. And I'm never going to know you're totally going to get in or you're totally not. Right. Because honestly, Rob, if I knew that, I would quit and make a billion dollars because then mm. I would die. Right. You know, you're going to Vanderbilt. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, that'd be great news. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. So. Man. So how do people respond to the way that you, the way that you try to do this? Like when people are, you know, in like that perfectionistic mindset, for instance, when they mm -hmm. are just losing it about, you know, I need to be doing this, I need to be doing that, I need to be doing that. How do you work to kind of ground people in that process? Well, what I, what I try to do is is definitely give them the information that could help them understand the process. I'm not going to, I don't do veneer. I'm not going to give you, you know, sort of a false sense of hope or at least something that just comforts you. Mm -hmm. um, what I do try to do is go from a strengths perspective yes. with the students and try to say, hey, you know what, don't forget, yeah, you, biology wasn't your thing. You didn't do well in that class. But look at all the other classes that you do. Or they, they mm -hmm. always think to themselves, this is a classic example. My kids, neurodivergent kids, always think, oh, my God, I'm the weirdest kid in the world. I go to this small school. I have ADHD. I have, I'm on the spectrum. They know what, that, that there's something going on with them, right, mm -hmm. and everything. 
So I remember that this happens every year where they go, well, I'm just, you know, they don't say it like this, but they just go, I'm kind of a weirdo. And I go, what I try to tell them, and I, I visit their classes. We do, you know, I, I do certain sessions in their classes as well. One thing I always say is think about how you know how you learn. Because you know actually more about how you learn than many other people your age because you've had to know how you learn. You've had to compensate. You've had to develop skills that still make you just as successful in finishing that presentation, in doing that paper, in taking that test, right? right. College universities love that. They love seeing skills of young people mm -hmm. that they've had to manifest and develop over time, right? What they don't want to see is some lazy kid, you know, that's sure. not doing anything, right? But sure. so that gives them this perspective. It kind of, in some ways, flips the switch where they go, oh, I've never thought about it that way. Right. And I will tell you, the very first time I ever said that at my school, I suddenly realized, Rob, I was like, I don't think anyone's really said this to them right. in any form or fashion. You know, people always, I, I remember telling my parents at the very beginning of my very first year, I had a meeting, I basically did an assembly kind of thing to mm -hmm. kind of introduce myself and all that. I said to them, I can only imagine the amount of times you've heard the word can't. Mm -hmm. Well, your kid can't learn that way, or your kid can only do this or that kind of thing. And I, I looked them all in the face. I said, you'll never hear that word from me. Yeah. Well, your kid can do anything. They're kids. Yeah. I mean, the possibilities are there. So, yeah, they might. They interact differently. Their mm -hmm. social cues are a little off. Sure. Or much more so than most. But, mm -hmm. but also, when you start to get to know them, you realize they're still pretty amazing people. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. So I try to I try to show them that. I try to try to help them with that. So a perfectionist person, back to your original thought, I mean, sometimes I will say I do reach a barrier. I remember I had a kid that was so hyper-focused on Yale. Oh my God, this kid, I loved him to death. But this kid, this was not from my school a long time ago. But he kept every day he would come to me. Mm -hmm. Well, I heard this about the admissions. I heard this, that Yale's doing it this way. I finally was like, dude, like, we need to be prepared if you don't get in. Right. And one thing I tried to tell him was, you know, whatever happens, you're still who you are. Mm -hmm. You're still this person, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget, he shared with me. I mean, this kid, and he ended up getting into Yale, by the way. But oh, I awesome. remember he was, yeah, but, but he told me the day before he hit the button on his computer, he was, you know, he was doing the thing and he was about to hit and then he looked right at the computer screen and he goes, you don't define me. Nice. <laughs> and then he got in. Wow. <laughs> like, All right, there That you is go. amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it's a pretty amazing story. I'll never yeah. forget it, you know. And you have such a refreshing perspective of like because people do, especially I have to imagine in academia, people get so blinded by their shortcomings to the point where they don't even realize how far they've had to come in order to overcome a lot of these things. Yeah. And not only that, but I also call it the glamorization of the process where mm -hmm. they look and they they only know these amazing places, right. right? I've done so many videos. You've seen them too, Robert. Oh, yeah. I, I try to tell people like the Ivies are not the end all be all. Mm -hmm. That's eight schools out of almost 4,000 in our country, right. you know? And I'm sorry, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big fan of you are what you make your education. Mm -hmm. I did not go to a very selective school. Mm -hmm. I know that. I also worked in their admissions office. I know that very well, mm -hmm. but you know, and it's changed over time. I wouldn't say there are any selective, like a Dartmouth or a Yale or Princeton or something like that. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, you can go to St. Mary's College of Maryland. You can mm -hmm. go to Loyola University of New Orleans. You can go to Wake Forest. You can go to Dartmouth. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is, what are you going to do with it with your life? Mm -hmm. You know, 
and really the opera they people always say well you have so many great opportunities i go but you can make your own great opportunities Mm -hmm. if you're given the skills and really connecting with professors and all the things that a school can offer you and if they're not offering you that then that's maybe not the right fit for you right maybe you need to go elsewhere but it's not about this like the name's going to carry you for the rest of your life Mm -hmm. And I, that's something I have to contend with. I will tell you, I don't see that as often at my school, particularly. Mm-hmm. I think kids are just amazed they get into college. Yeah. Sometimes. They're like, oh, I got in. I'm like, yeah, you sure uh, did. I bet that's got to be an amazing feeling. They come rushing into your office. Oh, it's, the best. <laughs> it's the best. It's, oh. I mean, any, even at my previous school that was a very selective, you know, high, very high uh, 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 powered and great uh, college process for them in that regards. But it's amazing when they do when they yeah. come to you and say, Oh my God, it happened. Mm-hmm. And then I have to say, and sort of gearing into this other realm, you have to also help them when they don't. Right. Because then they don't. Mm-hmm. So, you know what? I try to sometimes laugh it off. That doesn't always work, but sure. you know, sometimes they go like, Hey, I, I found out from blank blank college. I didn't get in. And sometimes I just go to them. I just look at them and I go, they're loss mm-hmm. moving on. Mm-hmm. Right. But sometimes they're, they are genuinely upset. Right. And 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 genders are different in their mm-hmm. in the way that they handle that information. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I think in this day and age, I'm seeing I'm seeing young men actually be a little more emotionally in tune with themselves, but there's still a protective ego mentality. Sure. Like I'm okay, mm-hmm. it's all right. Oh, but I'm yeah. like, yeah, I don't know about that. And then I'm also seeing uh, young women who used to be so more stereotypically emotional about the process, mm-hmm. not be so much, but then not necessarily. I think this is another challenge of the COVID generation or whatever you want to call it, that uh, processing their emotions has become difficult for them. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, know, you sort of have to tap into that and help them a little bit. Right, right. How do you try to do that within the work that you do? Drinking. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No. um, uh, My training, I'm really proud that I got an MSW. It's enhanced my work incredibly because I'm able to sometimes see things. I know know, this always, I've struggled with this, Rob, and I feel like you you can identify with this on a level as well, too. I feel like I'm I'm a very empathetic person in Mm -hmm. general. I think as a counselor and a helping profession, you have to be. But it's I sometimes can see things in the way that they interact with me. I always call it, you know, Irving Yalom, you know, Yalom, the the father of group psychotherapy, right? Irving Yalom was a huge, like, hero of mine when I did my MSW. And he wrote this great book that I recommend to everybody. Um, It's called The Gift of Therapy. And in it, he talks about this thing called the process in the room, that when you do a therapeutic relationship, of which college counseling is a form of therapy in a sense. I mean, it's Mm. not like what you do, but... um, but um, you have to recognize the process in the room. It's not about what they're saying. It's how they're saying it, right. what they're emphasizing. Obviously, their body language. You know, the doorknob moments where they go, okay, I'll see you later. And they go, by the way, I hate my life. And you go, wait a right, second. Right, you right. have to come back, right? So, I mean, it's all of those, those interplays that happen. So when a student asks me about eight times what the SAT is going to be like or how testing is going to be, they're obviously very concerned about that process. So what I try to do is I'm listening in my brain. I go, okay, they need to know more information about this. They need to not only know how it's going to work, but what truly what colleges and universities are looking at when they're looking at testing, Mm -hmm. for example. And that's changed quite dramatically. So you have to kind of in tune yourself with, with them. And mm-hmm. not everyone can do it. I understand. Sure. I mean, we all have our tools in our toolbox. But for me, it's been something I can really rely on. That and humor. 
I used to be Mark. Yeah, you're and you're a funny person. I I, uh, I used to tune into your lives when you used to go live a bit more. I used to tune in, and you were always just such a delight. Um, I'm trying to get more. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's tough. And again, you're trying to take care of yourself as well, and so um, you can't make time for everything in the world. Um, but I, I really do love just what you do and everything. Cause I remember for myself, just how terrifying that whole process was. And I was one of those kids who was like, I had like this free period during the day and I would just sit there and I would just go to like university of Michigan's homepage. Have they updated literally any of the tabs? Can I look at any more pictures of the university? And it's just, it's such a terrifying process. And at your glamorized school was Michigan, like the place. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, I wanted to go, and and you know what's funny? I didn't even apply. <laughs> I, I ended up um, I went to Hofstra uh, up in right. Long Island initially. That wasn't the best decision, I know. No, I was I was so unprepared for college, like yeah. because I I did have so many like undiagnosed mental illnesses going on, mm-hmm. and going into college, I think I just I wasn't ready for the freedom of it all. And I wasn't ready for the independence, especially like coming from my house, like it was a very strict place to live. And so I'm moving all the way up to Long Island from Mechanicsville, Maryland. Like my parents couldn't come be mad at me if they wanted to. Like I'm so far away. And I think that it was the perfect storm of being neurodivergent, lacking the confidence, being incredibly insecure, and then having limitless access to alcohol. And it was just, it was a, it was a bad storm for yeah. sure. And yeah. I, I wonder how, how can people begin to get more prepared for what that huge transition is like? Sure. I will say in my profession right now, um, when we have dedicated professionals, they're able to handle the workload. Again, mm-hmm. everyone's different in their own respective school environments, but we are focusing on our, on our attention onto areas that I don't think we've ever Uh, delved that this deep into i mean Mm -hmm. perfect example is financial literacy this has become a huge topic in high schools about how we can help our students do budgets manage credit Mm -hmm. um, understand checking and you know investments and all of these kinds of things right and this is something that's becoming i would foresee uh across the board i wouldn't say with every school but um places are are putting this as a staple into their into their process i will say i do a transition series i again very privileged uh school that i work at where we have the opportunity to do this but i have guest speakers that come and talk about um uh, finding accommodations at schools residential life how to live on campus how to work with roommates we have alums, obviously, which is a very popular way of, uh, from years past that come and talk to the students as well, too. Um, I'm also very privileged. I can do check-ins with my students pretty – I mean, I see my seniors every day mm-hmm. um, because we're a small place. But um, And I see my juniors every day. And all of, I see – I mean, I see the fifth graders every day, mm-hmm. so, you know, and doing all of that. But – Um, But a lot of people can't do that. And I recognize that. But to have the ability to just be present and to do that. Mm -hmm. It's something I will tell you that um, it's always been a thorn in my side. I feel like our educational system in the public school realm needs to dedicate more to college counseling. Mm -hmm. It just is melded together. Or maybe you have a career person that runs a center at your school. But Mm -hmm. they didn't get 
a, a lot of professional development and training and and things of that notion and that kind of thing. And then the guidance model, I'm in my opinion, I I have great respect for all of them. I'm great friends with many of them on TikTok that are doing it as well too. But they are so overwhelmed. I mean, you're talking yeah. a caseload of 400 students. Yes. How can you do that? It's That's unreal. Crazy. No, I mean my highest was. A little was over a hundred. That was a stretch for a private school. I had mm. uh, like 116 kids one year. I mean, I did it. Oh boy, I could never do that again. But I was also, mm -hmm. I was also like 29 at the time. Uh, so, I mean, I had the energy to do it. But but it's it's hard work. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, yeah. Schools absolutely need far more. Uh, oh, far more dedicated staff in general. But yeah, definitely yeah. when it comes to career counseling, college counseling. Yep. counseling counseling like it's it. incredibly necessary that we get to a better yep. point in that and um i i hope that we end up getting there um right. so to to kind of speak to one of the things you were talking about of like the expectations of you know where am i going to get into and all this stuff i remember um just to kind of share a, a, a story um because it was shocking for myself and it might help other people to gain a little bit of that confidence i when i was going for my master's and trying to find a good school um, I, when I had gone to, to St. Mary's, my GPA was not very great at the beginning because I didn't address a lot of the mental health issues that I needed to. And so in all of this, my GPA was very, very low, um, by the time that I was applying for schools. And, you know, when I went and got clean, went to treatment, you know, therapy, all that, I got a lot better and my grades were way better. I, my whole life was just together. And, I remember I applied to, I think, four different places, and I got denied from three of them very quickly. And the fourth one was Frostburg, and they actually contacted me and wanted to do an interview. And I remember sitting in that room, and I was pretty nervous about the interview, but I was like, they invited me here. They're going to talk to me. I'm, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to get in this school. And um, I remember he, Michael Murtaugh, uh, the, the head of the department, who I will never – be able to give enough thanks to in my life. He at one point asked me in that process, you know, I would prefer to be able to ask about things that are deficient on your resume than for me to just put my own assumptions on it. And he asked me about it. He said, what is going on with your GPA? Because you're doing all these other things. What's what's going on with this? And I was like, I am so happy you asked. And I got to explain all of that and be able to explain exactly what is going on. And for me personally, that changed my life. I don't know what I would be doing if I hadn't gotten into that program. Sure. Um, and so I, I say all that, one, to give people more confidence to like just give it a shot because mm -hmm. you don't know. If I would have said, you know, my GPA is too low, I'm just not going to get in anywhere, then right. I, I don't know where I'd be right now. Um, but also, I guess, to talk a little bit about the admissions process and I guess what admissions can do more of and what they can try to do to, you know, maybe make this a, a little bit less of an anxiety and producing process, if that's at all possible, mm -hmm. and just what they can do generally. Right. Well, I will say there's a lot, the, the answer is multi-dimensional sure. in essence, and I can, you know, you can go in many different directions. I will say one thing that people don't always understand that I've been trying to impart in recent times with some of my videos on my channel is 
to let people know that the people that are admissions people that you meet are not policy makers. Mm. A lot of times the actual policy and the trajectory of how a school is going to go, like a new major or tightening in this group or looking at new dimensions of student enrollment or that kind of thing. These are usually decided on, regulated and decided upon by boards of trustees or vice presidents or administration that are not the boots on the ground kind of people that we meet all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, those people are usually the ones that disseminate and go out and, and promote and do that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But one thing that college and universities need, need to realize is that in order to be sustainable in general, they have to address the, in essence, Rob, the humanistic pieces of the puzzle that maybe they've been deficient on looking at. We are right now, it's a very interesting thing that's happening. It's, um, I think Yale has been experiencing this and Stanford did as well too. These, um, they're in lawsuits right now because they have been dissuading students that have had significant mental health issues mm. from continuing to enroll. Because um, a lot of schools, and I'm not going to single them out because I think mm -hmm. this is a systemic issue across the board. When COVID happened and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm getting my students back. I was like, oh, boy, college universities, get ready. This mm -hmm. group that's about to come to you is going to need some help. And then sure enough, like and they, uh, some of them were a bit flabbergasted by it. They were like, mm -hmm. oh, my God, we're so stretched so thin with our mental health and our counseling departments. And I'm going, mm -hmm. What did you think was going to happen? Right. You know? And so you found all these schools that were trying to rise to the challenge, but it was a little reactive rather than proactive, which mm -hmm. drives me nuts because right. I'm like, come on, you knew this was going to happen. I mean, be prepared. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, they, they did the best. Well, I don't know. I wouldn't say they do the best that they can, but they're trying at, at least mm -hmm. in doing that. And also to the financial piece of it. I mean, this is still a huge yes barrier to college process and to enrollment in general and just mm -hmm. the perception of the you know i always tell people when you look at the price tag it doesn't mean you're going to pay that full amount but there is a threshold people are gapped all the time mm -hmm. you know they only get so many and then people hear these strange innocuous stories of like well there's a full scholarship out there i heard this person gets everything and i go yeah, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. You know, but you know, because you have to remember that this is it's not it's not that schools are a business, you could say that, but they also have to make sure that they're sustainable. Mm -hmm. And practically every school is going to be tuition driven to some extent. And um, they need that in order to survive. What we're seeing, which is uh, unfortunate, is we're seeing a contraction a little bit of some of these schools that were not very well endowed and not uh, mm -hmm. very uh, financially sustainable and they're either merging with other schools or they're closing. I just read about this school that's in, I think it's in Iowa, but it was a small little Catholic school that was serving a lot of first gen students, local students that can think it's closed. Wow. They couldn't do it anymore. So, you know, so you, you do that. And the thing is what I don't want to see happen. The thing that really I'm, I'm keeping my eyes on because I think it would be horrible is all of a sudden college, uh, enrollment becomes a meritocracy. Those that have can go, mm -hmm. and those that can't will go to other opportunities that then could maybe be ones to sort of just put them in that situation. I'm not saying like community college or trade school is bad. I'm a product of my mm -hmm. father to a uh, community college. But the fact of the matter is, is that I could see then people going, okay, well, you're limited over here because you went there, mm -hmm. and this is all that you could do as opposed to, oh, you went to a four-year and da, 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 right. blah, blah, blah. So I mean, we have to we have to promote um, the uh, 
efficacy and the availability mm-hmm. of college world to everybody. Yeah, you know? I, I I agree entirely on that. Uh, it's far too far too much of a privilege versus just being a thing that everyone can access um i think an educated population is a a benefit to everybody Mm -hmm. Um, and also that it can be available to everybody i mean people look at it as such as hard boulder and challenge mountain to get over and i always go no 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 if you mm -hmm. keep an open mind you don't Mm -hmm. get glamorized you don't go oh michigan's my place Mm -hmm. right oh wait a second this could and if you think about it too i mean yeah hofstra didn't work out for you but the thing you have to remember, Rob, is you became the person that you are because of the experiences Absolutely. that you have, where you are at this point in time in your life. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I've said it before. I'm I'm very thankful for a lot of the uh, a lot of the hardship. Um, yeah. You know, it's I, I wouldn't be me without it. Um, totally. So I like and me. you wouldn't be able to probably do parts of your job without exactly. it as well too, right? Exactly. The the experience helps a lot to better understand people who are going through it. Um, so it it helps a lot. Um, in speaking on that as well, as we begin to close up today, um, I really want to thank you a lot for everything being here. Um, also just being supportive of me in general. Um, I, I am incredibly thankful for all of that. You're kicking my butt on TikTok. (laughs) My God, he's like double me now. Oh, well, I will continuously. No, no. <laughs> I will continuously look up to you. Um, one of the experiences that I think you helped to make a very big difference for in my life uh, was in like mid 2021 when I did accept the fact that I am bisexual and I came out, you know, I talked about it, and that was the time that you did join my life and we talked a little bit. And you, I mean, you brought tears to my eyes. The amount of support and love that you showed me um so i think it was it was a truly amazing moment yeah i remember i was first of all i think you you mentioned it in a video i don't think you said it live i think mm-hmm. it was a video first that you I put have. and i remember seeing it and i went okay first of all this guy's got balls I mean, <laughs> I mean first of all i always say i mean i'm openly gay i've been obviously i've been gay all my life but you know mm-hmm. and all of that stuff and everything but people always say, well, do you ever have a problem coming out? I'm like, if, if you talk to me after like two minutes, I mean, you kind of know. I mean, give me a break, <laughs> you know, at this point. I used to work with all boys at this Catholic high school, and people would be like, well, is it a problem there? I'm like, if it was, I wouldn't be working there. Right, I mean, right. Serious. And the kids aren't stupid. I mean, come on, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Um, but uh, to to put it really out there, to the internet – yeah, and the world, and yet you're in this wonderful, loving relationship with a woman, and mm-hmm. you know, and building your life with her, and everything like that. I just thought that was amazing. I was mm-hmm. like, this is incredible, <laughs> and I think you made a great inspiration to many people. Mm-hmm. Well, that means a lot. I, one can only hope, and you helped to inspire me. So, thank you, sir. If anybody's inspired, you inspired them as well. Oh, so, thank um. You. Yeah, you have been nothing but wonderful to me, and so I very much appreciate you for everything. I know. Um, Soon we'll have the coffee, right? We will eventually have the coffee. We've been trying to, like, physically actually meet each other. Mm -hmm. We've never physically met each other. (laughs) One of these days, because we don't live that far away from each other. No, we do not. And D.C., I think, is a perfect kind of middle point. (laughs) Or another place. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Um, Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll figure all that out for sure. So, Mr. C, uh, would love to give you an opportunity to plug some of your stuff, your channel, yeah. everything like that. Right. I think the only thing, I hate to say it, 
But the only thing that I have publicly that people can do, if you'd like to go to my TikTok channel, it's Mr. C underscore college counselor. To be honest with you, just look up college counselors. I'm one of the people that pops up. Um, mm. There's not that very many of us in the TikTok realm. Um, and I want to encourage anybody to echo that who's in the profession. But a lot of times, a lot of people in my profession are like, you're doing what? How are you doing that? Mm. And I go, well, you know, TikTok isn't necessarily the hardest social media platform to do. It can be exhausting, but it can be exhausting if you let it be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've been doing this whole series, you know this, Rob, about like, I call it um, questions in my car. I mean, it literally takes me to do. It's so easy to Uh do, you know, it's doing that. But that's really the only plug I got is that, I mean, people, you can reach me there. I do do private college counseling if anyone's interested, but you can just engage with me on TikTok and I can then give in my email. And if you're interested in hiring me, by all means awesome awesome and uh last question will uh pick a pencil be making a comeback i know oh, God. <laughs> like person that's actually, and pick a pencil the jar is like right over there uh-huh. somebody i was on live yesterday and somebody was like are you gonna do that i'm like i know well first of all can i just be i have to be mea culpa like please don't kill me mm-hmm. there's we picked a pencil after thanksgiving my best friend was in town i still have to do that profile i mean it's been it's mm-hmm. now closing in on four months i mean i'm really delinquent in it yeah, the thing with pick a pencil though is, and for those that don't know, I, I have a jar of pencils and I pick them and then I do a, a profile and it's cool. the pro it's just hard to do yeah. because I, I try to do all this information and you got to fit it in three minutes and I'm positioning my camera to my computer. yeah you <laughs> put a lot of work into them you know I don't know all the intricacies of TikTok all the time but anyway um you do what you can but it does take but yes I will be back doing pick a pencil I promise maybe, maybe like a summer project. Yeah, or just I I I've got actually a spring break coming up, and um yeah, it's I gotta get off my ass and just do it. <laughs> you, I gotta stop just complaining. About you, you are already doing so many things. I I say it mostly so, because Frostburg's still in there, and I want to. That's see right. That's right. <laughs> you want me to pick that one? Don't yeah. You? Well, after Frostburg comes out, you do with pick a pencil. Like. Like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. University <laughs> of Chicago. Who cares? Whatever. Oh man. Eli Clark, it has been a real pleasure getting to talk to you. Uh, you Thank you so much for coming on. uh, And thank you all for listening to another episode of Please Stay Inside. Take care of yourselves.